0: Jesus, you are strength, you are power, you are victory, you are hope. And Lord, through your word, help us hear that from you and become strong people in you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here. There's a lot of you kind of scattered in the back. Hey, just a, a reminder, um, there's often, when you come in, you don't see seats here. There are often seats up in front, so encourage you to do that. And, and if some of you, as you come in, those of you who arrive early, I know this is like asking the world, but maybe you could sit toward the front so that people who come later could know that there's a seat and all that. So if you could sit to the front and in the middle. There's about a hundred more seats, hundred more people we could get in here. That would be awesome. Because when people come and think it's full and they leave, that makes the baby Jesus cry, okay? <laughs> so you don't want to be doing that, all right? So to the front and in the middle, all right? Otherwise you make the baby Jesus cry. Okay, in every job interview, you can be assured that there will be two questions, right? What are your strengths and what are your? Very good, you've been to a job interview. And to that last question about weaknesses, you reply something like, I just care too much. (laughs) Far out, right? Like the old story of of a man who was being interviewed for a new job and he said, my department has turned a profit every quarter. I've never had a personnel issue. I always get excellent performance reviews. And the interviewer said, well, what's your biggest weakness? And the guy said, I tend to exaggerate. Where do you feel strong right now? Because we all have strengths. And where maybe do you feel a little weak? Where do you feel like you are inadequate to whatever challenge you face? The passage we read today is all about strength, ultimate strength. Where does real strength come from and how can we be strong people? As we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, we have noticed that the path has become very difficult for the Apostle Paul because a group of people called super apostles have convinced the Corinthians to reject Paul as their pastor because he's, he's not good looking enough. He's not a deep enough preacher. He, he, all these bad things happen to him, so how can God possibly be with him? Right? And Paul defends himself throughout the entire book, but in chapters 11 and 12, he just kind of loses it. He has a big old full-on apostolic temper tantrum. I mean, he really, it's, it, is the, it is the apostle's equivalent of pounding his fists on the ground and screaming. Right? He just goes berserk. And then he ends with this kind of very Zen-like statement, when I am weak, then I am strong. And by weak, Paul means lots of things, things like health or financial or relationship issues, anxiety. Also things, though, that weaknesses, things that we don't do very well. Or maybe it's kind of quirks in our personality or or weaknesses in our personality that hurt other people. And if nothing comes to mind for you right now, then just ask your spouse and they'll fill you in on that. Um, Friends can help, too. But then there's a different kind of weakness, There's the weakness that comes because God has called us to do something so beyond our talents that we are not capable to do it, and we have to lean on him to accomplish it. And if you're not feeling particularly weak right now, or maybe you're feeling kind of content and complacent, like, my weaknesses don't get in the way, maybe they don't, but maybe that's also because you're not doing something so big that it's beyond you that you have to lean on God for that. It's not that you're strong, it's that you're only trying to lift three pounds, And God may be calling you to something bigger. And life is at its best when we push against our limits and allow Jesus to do through us what only he can do. That's real strength. That's what it really means to be strong. Now, there are a few things in our east side culture that are more counterculture, more difficult to talk about than weaknesses. Right? That's just not, we don't like to talk about that here on the east side. That's why I actually made you say the word out loud to discover that your tongue wouldn't turn to fire if you said it. Right? Because we don't like to talk about Weaknesses. We kind of want, you know, no one's going to, like their match.com profile, they're not going to lead with neurotic, out-of-shape slacker who lives in my parents' basement looking for a relationship, right? Like, you're not going to lead with that. Now, I want to be clear. God works through our strengths, absolutely. And the point here is not to go be wimps for Jesus. The point is actually the opposite. Jesus doesn't want to make people weak. Jesus makes people strong. The whole passage is about strength is not about weakness. He uses the word, Paul uses the word, but what he's really talking about is how to be strong people because Jesus doesn't want weak people. Jesus works through strong people. But paradoxically, sometimes we discover our greatest strengths when we are feeling weakest. Here is a truth in life. Sometimes what you don't have turns out to be your greatest asset. Sometimes what you don't have turns out to be your greatest asset. Years ago, I told you a story, supposedly true. Some may remember it, but I want to tell it again because it makes a good point. About a six-year-old boy who lost his left arm in a car accident. And after it healed, he wanted to take judo. And his parents kind of weren't sure about that, but they signed him up for judo anyway. And his judo teacher said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to work on one move until you get it right? So, you know, after almost a year, this little boy finally mastered just this one move. That's all he had. And the teacher said, okay, time to go to a competition. And parents weren't sure about that either, but he went and the little boy won his first match. So now he was confused. So he asked his judo teacher, how could I win this judo match when I only know one move and I don't have a left arm? And the teacher said, easy. The one move you mastered is one of the most difficult moves for kids your age. And the only real defense against it involves your opponent grabbing your left arm. (laughs) Sometimes it's what you don't have that is your greatest asset. And has it ever occurred to you That the very thing you wish weren't true in your life may be the thing that God can use the most. That's what Paul is getting at in this temper tantrum that he throws. He says, Look, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I always love that last line. I, I've been beaten and starving, but worse than all of that is being your pastor. <laughs> Paul feels that way. Just want to be clear. That's not a message to y'all. That's just Paul, okay? The super apostles say that Paul is not qualified to be a, their pastor because look at all the bad things that happens to him. How could God be with him? If, if, if he was, God was with him, these bad things wouldn't happen to Paul. To which Paul basically responds, oh, you don't know the half of it. Here is an itemized list. And then he goes on and he says, if I have to boast like y'all, I'm going to boast about the things that show my weakness. And then he goes on to talk about a thorn in his flesh. And we have no idea what that is. You know, a physical ailment, a speech impediment. Some people think it was the Corinthians themselves that were the thorn. We have no idea, which is awesome. Because we can fill in the blank with our own struggle, right? And Paul says, I beg God to take it away, but he didn't. And this is his defense. Like, it is a really odd defense. It would be as if a group of elders came to me and said, Scott, we don't think you're doing a very good job as the pastor here. And I said, yeah, I am. I mean, attendance is down. We got a serious budget crisis. People are mad. I've been arrested, and God doesn't listen to my prayers. I'm an awesome pastor. Right? Like, it'd be really weird. And just for the record, none of that is true, okay? So, like, don't be making any rumors, okay? And then Paul goes on to actually talk about a strength. This time he talks about a strength. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught into the third heaven, basically into the presence of God. And he goes on to describe a vision that he had. Super apostles said that they were qualified because they had visions. Paul said, I had a vision once. But he does it in the, talks about it in the third person because he's not going to take credit for it. And the fact that he has to go back 14 years kind of indicates that visions for him are very rare, which the super apostles would have seen as a weakness. <clears throat> and then he says, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. That doesn't mean necessarily literal three, just over and over and 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 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me for when i am weak then i am strong here is the good news paradox found only in jesus weakness is not antithetical to strength it often leads to strength with jesus and in our weakness we are still strong for several reasons, and the first is this, we discover that God's grace is sufficient. Paul says, look, I wouldn't have near the courage I have, I wouldn't have near the joy I have, I wouldn't have near the freedom from fear that I have if it weren't for this thorn, if it weren't for this weakness. Because see, without it, I'd have gotten conceited, and then I would have been filled with fear about losing my status. And if my security rests in maintaining my image or my job or whatever it is, I'm vulnerable, then I'm weak. But in my weakness, I turn to God and discover that his grace is sufficient. He loves me for who I am, not what I've done. In my weakness, I see God use even the hard things for good, which means I am no longer a slave to fear because God will use even the hardest things in my life to be the eventual servant of my joy. See, there are two kinds of answered prayers, ends and means. And sometimes God will give us the ends we're praying for you know, in Paul's case, strength and joy and courage, but not always by the means we advise him to use. Right? Paul's strength didn't come by the means he had suggested to the Almighty, take away the thorn. But God got him there by leaving the thorn in place. What are you praying for, means or ends? God, you promise joy, you promise strength, you promise victory. You get me there any way you see best. Now again, we experience God in our, our victories, our strengths when things are going well? Of course, that's to be expected. But the really good news is that even in our difficulties, even in our weaknesses, there we are still strong because God pulls strength out of weakness. Now you may ask, well, that's nice, Pastor, but you know what? That's a nice thought. But I got real issues tomorrow at work or at school. Or I got real issues going on in my family. So how do I access this strength when I'm not necessarily feeling it? Well, couple things you've heard me say before you got to pray you got to listen for those thoughts that maybe aren't your thoughts you need some people around you to encourage you and then you need to remind yourself of the promises of god this afternoon we are all going to be inundated with promises from our culture through advertising right very expensive overpriced ads right we hear we're bombarded with messages Right? Are we listening to the messages that God sends and ask, acting as though they were true? That's how you step into strength. Notice how Paul talks about the thorn. He says, I was given a thorn, a messenger from Satan to torment me. See, when a bad thing happens, a thorn, Satan always attaches a message to it. Sort of like attaching a document to email. Right? Like Maybe it's a relationship problem and Satan attaches a message that says you're not lovable. Maybe it's a romantic issue. Satan attaches a message that says, see, can't trust those women, can't trust those men. Maybe you don't get the promotion. Satan attaches a message. You're a failure. The thorn often doesn't torment us nearly as much as the message does. But God also attaches messages to hard times. Things like, my grace is sufficient for you. I love you even if you don't get the promotion. That's your strength. What we have to do to step into strength, to be no longer slaves to fear, is we got to remind ourselves of God's messages, His promises, and act as though they are true. i got to remind myself of this almost minute to minute, because I'm not very good at this. God's grace is sufficient. Second way that we discover that even when we're weak, we're still strong, is that our strengths can often get in our way, can't they? Our strengths, for instance, can make us overconfident. A few weeks ago, I met with a college freshman, and he was talking about his uh, social life. And he was saying, You know, I just love women. They're pretty. They're nice. What could go wrong? I was like, Oh, dear God, this poor boy. This, (laughs) like, I need to enlighten him somehow, right? Can make us overconfident. In some ways, I am in, in many ways, I am in more danger of being a bad pastor now that I have experience than when I didn't. Like, when I first came here, I had no clue what I was doing, that was an asset because it kept me continually relying on God. Plus, experience is often just another word for baggage, right? <clears throat> oh, yeah, I tried that once and it didn't work. Well, maybe it'll try, you know, work if we tried a second time. Right? So even our success can be baggage. Our success can keep us from being innovative, past success. One of our staff read a quote this week that said, those who are most resistant to change are those who succeeded in the old ways of doing things. So I have to work hard against my experience to to stay in prayer and to be open to new ideas. That's why it's always good to have some young folks around who don't have any experience because sometimes what you don't have is your greatest asset. Third way that we are strong even when we feel weak is that weaknesses allow us to help others. Strengths do too, obviously, but sometimes even our weaknesses are helpful. Like if you have a problem, like you don't want to go talk to a perfect person, do you? They just irritate you. You want a real person. A guy told me this week that his wife leads fitness seminars, and recently she told one of her fitness seminars how she broke down a couple of weeks ago and went and bought a giant cookie and ate it all up, right? Don't you want a fitness coach like that? Because like doesn't it make it seem a little more doable, a little more, okay, I don't have to be perfect. In fact, one of the, one of the images of Christians is that they're supposed to be perfect. That's a lot of pressure, right? So, so think of it this way. Screwing up is kind of evangelism technique, Right? Because people see that you don't have to be perfect. That's why I screw up so often. See what I do for you people? Right? One of our our classic screw-ups here as a church was a couple years ago, and uh, part of our church's website wasn't working. So we put up a notice that said, we're having technical difficulties, only we kind of messed it up because it went on to say, we apologize for any incontinence this may have caused you. (laughs) Like, serious? Like, oh, the website's not working. I've got to pee. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all, right? Uh, So, I think we meant inconvenience. So, that was an accident, so to speak. (laughs) I know. Mistakes make us human, and human makes us approachable. Plus, our weaknesses can help someone else. Your misery is your mission, your mistakes are your mission. Your misery is your mission. A former alcoholic can help an alcoholic better than anyone else. Someone who deals with anxiety can help someone else with the same issue. But even deeper than that, when we help others, it will often be difficult and we will feel like we can't do it, a.k.a. weak. Remember I said there are different kinds of weaknesses? And one of them is doing something, God, God nudging us to do something that is beyond our ability to do that weakness is a strength because it sends us to God because only He can accomplish the task through us. And the only way to not feel weak in that sense is to not try to help anyone, but that leads to a shallow, meaningless life. In our weakness, we are still strong because God's grace is sufficient. Our strengths can get in our way, weaknesses help others, and then finally, our weakness is the stage upon which God gets to show off. Paul basically agrees with his accusers. He said, Yeah, you're right, I'm weak. But the point of his temper tantrum is that God still worked through him to change a whole bunch of lives. And so Jesus gets the credit, not Paul. My hope for us as a church would be that our reputation is that Jesus does such things through us that the only explanation can be him, not the number of talented people that we have here, though that is true, but that it would be Jesus working in us to do that which only he can do so that he gets the credit, not us. And we've seen that dramatic life change in our youth or Eastside Academy students, the fact that Jubilee reaches in the public schools, marriages transformed, all of this is beyond our ability to do. Jesus gets the credit for that. And this is the amazing paradox found only in Jesus that he takes what is weak, what is ugly, what is shameful, and he turns it into something beautiful, hopeful, and strong. And the best example of that is the cross, and there is only one crucified God, and his name is Jesus the ultimate thorn in the flesh. In fact, the Greek word Paul uses for thorn could mean stake or nail as well, like the kinds driven into Jesus' hands and feet. It is ultimate weakness where God allows himself to be defeated by his own creation, but of course it proves to be the strongest thing ever because he takes the weakness of the cross to conquer our greatest weakness, which is sin. And now people wear crosses around their necks as jewelry. It's like wearing an electric chair or a noose a symbol of torture and death, but God turned it into something beautiful. You can read all of world history, philosophy, and religion, and you will never find a good answer to the problem of suffering, but Jesus gives the best one. In suffering, he gives us three promises. One, I am with you in it. If his cross means anything, it means he knows what it means to suffer. Two, I will use it for good some way, somehow, someday. Three, I am coming back to put a stop to it all. This is the good news paradox found only in Jesus. Through death comes eternal life. Through weakness comes strength. Through defeat comes victory. And what that means is that when we uh, we face trouble or suffering or hard times, we don't cower in fear. Right? Neither do do we just stoically endure it. We have courage and hope and power knowing that God always does his best work in graveyards just as he did when he rose Jesus out of that tomb that first Easter morning. So we are no longer slaves to fear because even when we are weak, there Jesus is strong. There's a man I've heard speak several times named Jimmy Malato, and he was born in El Salvador, and his mom was raised in absolute terrible poverty. When she got married, it got a little bit better, but they were still struggling. And, but she would tell her kids about the kind of poverty that she grew up in. Well, they managed to scrape enough money together to send Jimmy to an American school. And he used to wear long sleeve shirts because he was ashamed of how dark his skin was. He wanted to be an American. And his actual name is Santiago Herberto Meado, but he was embarrassed by that, so he went by Jimmy instead. Because of the racism that was surrounding him, he he perceived his ethnicity to be a weakness. It wasn't, but that's how he saw it. And to him, America was perfect, like malls, Disneyland, and he just wanted to come to America. And eventually, he was able to come here and go to college. He graduated, got a job at a great company, eventually became one of the members of the executive team for that company. And in one of the meetings, they were bemoaning the lack of diversity in the company. And they said, and we certainly don't have any diversity on our executive team. And Jimmy kind of raised his hand and goes, "Uh, hey, hello, Uh, you know I'm Hispanic, don't you? And someone said, yeah, but you don't count. And his first thought was, yes, I finally made it. I'm seen as an American. But then he got a thought that came from God that said, but you're not American." And you need to be who you are. Santiago Herberto Mellado, born in El Salvador without the assistance of a doctor. Your mother grew up in dire poverty. And I'm going to take those parts of you that you are running away from, and I'm going to use them as part of your calling. So fast forward a couple years later, and he becomes the president of Compassion International, a Christian nonprofit that helps kids around the world get out of poverty. So now he's traveling back to El Salvador and other places where there's poverty, and he's the link between the developing world church and the resourced world church to bring alleviation to poverty. And when he became president, his mom went to his installation service. And afterwards, she came up to him, gave him this great big hug, and then she kind of pushed back and tried to say something, but couldn't. She got all choked up and hugged him again and tried to talk again, couldn't, just did this three times, and then finally just walked away. Well, the next day, she said, you know, when someone grows up in poverty like I did, nobody ever thinks that's going to be a benefit to their kids. But God made even that turn into good. My history gave my son an understanding of poverty, and it gave him compassion for the poor. And now he's helping people get out of the same kind of poverty that I grew up in. I am so grateful that God redeems everything. God took a real weakness, poverty, as well as things that weren't weaknesses but that Jimmy perceived as such, like his race, used all of it as a strength to give him the background that he needed to help others in a, way, in a way so big that he is not adequate to the task. He is weak compared to the size of the task that God has given him. And that puts him in a state of constant dependence on God where he discovers that God's grace is sufficient and that gives him strength and courage and joy as he partners with Jesus to help the poor. When we admit our limitations, let Jesus work through them anyway and point to him and give him the credit and be grateful for what he does, then we are strong. Which means there's really no such thing as weakness at all when Jesus is anywhere in the picture. Because Jesus just takes a weakness and turns it straight back into a strength. We are no longer slaves to fear because even in our weakness, Jesus is strong. So what is it you think you need that you think you don't have? Money, perfect marriage, right kind of job, good looks. And if you don't feel weak, what might God be nudging you to do that is so big that it is beyond you? You're going to have to lean on him. Let him work through all of those things and watch him turn what you think is weak into power, courage, hope, and strength. Because, see, it doesn't matter what you don't have. It doesn't matter what you do have. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you haven't done. does not matter what you have not done does not matter how dirty your uniform is from the game of life. The good news of Jesus is that in his upside-down kingdom, where you feel weak, there he is strong. You just have to hang on to him and watch him do the rest. So, Lord, we give you our strengths. We give you our weaknesses. And we ask, Lord, that you would do those things in us For us, through us, and around us that can only be explained by you so that you get the glory and you get the credit, not us. Lord, thank you that you have made us free from fear. Help us to walk in your promises. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.